Thanks for taking the time to watch or listen into this message. Our prayer is always that God would use it to draw you closer to himself and deepen your love for Jesus Christ. And if you're new here, consider subscribing to stay up to date with all of our great content. Thanks again for checking out this message. We pray it is a blessing to you. Well, because it's Christmas time, we just finished Romans last week, um, the, the final, I don't know what it was, 33 messages or something of Romans. Um, we're going to have a couple of weeks just talking about this time of year, and then we're going to jump into, at the beginning of the year, the book of James. And so that's going to be fun. Um, today, though, as we talk about the miraculous birth of Jesus Christ, the God-man Jesus Christ, I want to start us by just thinking through and, and appreciating God's preparation for that, God's sovereign design and plan for the Savior of the world to be born. And we're going to look at um, the miraculous baby that was born before Jesus was born. We're going to look at John the Baptist and his birth as God prepares the way. And so literally today's message is just called God Prepares the Way. And we need to think about the excitement of what's going on uh, among God's people and what he's up to even before Jesus' birth. That uh, Israel has gone through 400 years of prophetic silence. Think about that. You're God's people. His representation before the world and his presence is with you. That's what separates you from everyone else. It's not just you by name. It's that God has made a covenant with his people and that he is with them. But now, crickets. Like you hear nothing from God. Since Malachi, it's the, who is the last prophet of the Old Testament, and, and I want to look at just a couple verses from the book of Malachi that kind of sets up this silence so that we're prepared to hear from God as he speaks in the New Testament. So we're going to look at just a couple of verses. The first one, Malachi 3, verse 1. And I just wrote uh, above these Malachi verses, it's been a long time since I left you. Without a dope beat to step to. Some of you know those, but that's not the, that's not the name of the, it's just it's been a long time. Okay. Um, Malachi 3, 1 says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. This is really cool. Lots of different things are cool here. One, the Lord Almighty is the one speaking and says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. So the Lord says, I'm going to show up, but I'm going to send a messenger first. Suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. This is really cool too. Because it speaks prophetically of the time that Jesus Christ needed to come before. The temple was destroyed in 70 AD. And so the Lord would come to his temple, would show up, and he would show up in God in flesh, in, in the form of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, showing up to the temple, which helps bring understanding to the fact that the Messiah has shown up. So when Jews still struggle awaiting their Messiah, the prophetic words that they have been given in the Old Testament point to the fact that Jesus has already shown up. Okay. How come I'm so excited right now? And I'm the only one in the room that I'm feeling that from. 
Suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant. That's the new covenant. Whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. We skip ahead to the very last verses of the Old Testament. In your Bible, you probably know where Matthew's at, but you've never flipped backwards. You'll find Malachi. Chapter four, verse five and six says this. In fact, all of four is, is kind of speaking prophetically to these days and the last days. It says, see, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. Great and dreadful. It's talking about Jesus' return for judgment. That it's great for those that see Jesus, that love Jesus, and put their faith in him. What an awesome day when you see your ruler and king show up. But it's dreadful if you've rebelled against him and waved your fist at him and he has come to bring judgment. That great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents. Now this is speaking, uh, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Pretty heavy words. The last time God speaks prophetically in the Old Testament is I will send a messenger before the day of the Lord and that messenger will come in, in Elijah in a prophetic way like Elijah will see and that if he wasn't to turn the people back to God, then God would come to destroy, but that instead he will come to save people unto himself before his final return. It's good to set it up that way because I, I need us to understand that before we look in Luke chapter one, which is where we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning. So if you have a Bible, if you go to Luke chapter one, as we look at um, the coming of John the Baptist, who is another miracle baby, and we see the, the, the words that the angel says, it's good that we know what was prophesied about the messenger because then we see clearly who he is. And I have um, quite a bit of text we're gonna work through this morning. As I uh, regularly do, I have more text than I have time. Or maybe more text than you have time. I got time. We could do this. Um, again, I just wrote down God's plan to prepare the way. Luke 1, starting in verse 5. It says, in the time of Herod, king of Judea. So that's, that's like 37 BC to 4 AD is the time of King Herod. King of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, which is a cool name, by the way. And that the, the priests were broken up into 24 different divisions. And that, that was done so that when there was temple work that needed to be done, when there was the priestly duties that needed to happen throughout the year, they could divide the work up. So it wasn't just a, a, a roll of the dice, just like, hey, I hope somebody's here to do the work, but instead that each of the 24 divisions were given two separate weeks throughout the year. Okay, you come at this time and you come at this time. And during that week, your division shows up and does all the priestly work that needs to be done at the temple. And so um, you might recognize that that's only 
comes out to like 48 weeks, but there's also other feasts and things that happen, Passover, Pentecost, Feast of Tabernacles that happen when many priests are there from lots of different divisions that can make sure all the work gets done. Okay. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. So she's also from the priestly line. So this family all of a sudden shows up on the scene early in Luke chapter one. He introduces us to this husband and wife that come through this priestly line. He speaks about them a little bit more. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. What does that mean? They love the Lord their God with all their heart. With everything they are, they're following after God. Now we know that that doesn't mean that they're completely sinless but they are righteous and they are blameless because of their faith in God, their love for him, and their following after him. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. So a couple things here. The Bible first speaks of them being righteous and blameless to make sure that we know that the reason that she can't conceive and they haven't had a child is not because of some sort of sin that they have in their life that is being judged by the closing of her womb. They want you to know that this is not a response to, this is not a judgment on or a dealing with them because of their turning from God. In fact, they are blameless before God. They love God. You could look to them to see what it looks like to follow after God. They come from this great line of people. They are those that are an example of loving God. And yet they still are not seeing everything they want to in, in, in their life. And in those days, there was um, a lot of guilt associated uh, with not being able to bear children. Um, there shouldn't be nowadays, but unfortunately, sometimes people can still feel that. And so there was shame for many women that didn't uh, push forward the, the line of the people, especially as you look for um, such a proud nation as Israel, as, as we see all their genealogies and lineage uh, very closely tracked. And um, the first son meant something. And, and, and so... There is this, this struggle they're going through, but they want us to know that it's not because they don't love God. In fact, God even has a plan to use that for his glory. Yeah. Hmm. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. Not only was she not able to conceive, but at this point, they were both very old. So what he wants us to know is that they missed their time. They, they wanted to have a child. They were not able to because Elizabeth was able, uh, not able to conceive. And now the window has closed for them. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty, again, it was that week for them. So Zechariah shows up with the rest of his division and he was serving as priest before God. He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. What an awesome job. So this is a really cool thing. Like you can imagine it's already pretty special and you can see it like all of us, right? Like we get to serve God. It is a blessing that God would use us, that he would gift us to be a blessing unto him and to others, right? And so these people specifically had this role as priests and from this priestly line to be able to serve the Lord in a special and unique way. Well, now when it's his time for his division to show up there among all the other priests that are there during this time, they cast lots and he gets to do something that, that some priests may never have gotten to do. He gets to go into this, this uh, spot in the temple, right uh, in front of like the holiest of holies. 
So it's still this very holy place, and he gets to go in there and burn incense before the Lord. And this is a cool thing. As he burns these, these are a sign of the prayers of the people going up unto the Lord. And so he gets to represent the people before the Lord. Just as a priest represents the Lord before the people, he gets this special job. And what a cool thing. This is unique. He gets to do this. So he goes in to burn the incense before the Lord. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. This is great. So they're praying outside. He's going before the Lord to bring their, their prayers to the Lord through this beautiful sign of this, this aroma unto the Lord. Lord, let our prayers be this sweet aroma unto, unto your nostrils. Like Receive this and have this be well unto you. And so in this, he's not only praying for the nation of Israel and their prayers as they go before God, but we're going to find out he's also bringing his own prayers to the Lord. Because if you get to bring prayers to the Lord, you probably bring yours too. Right? You should agree with that, because I can almost guarantee that when you pray, that's the majority of your prayers for yourself. Then, this is so cool, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. This is a pretty regular response to seeing an angel. Like, I know we all, like, we always picture it as like an angel shows up and it was like, yay, an angel. The primary response throughout scripture when an angel shows up is great fear because a messenger of the Lord has now been sent. And the initial kind of response is, I hope this, is, uh, this angel has been sent for good purposes. Because like the angel of the Lord also shows up in scripture to wipe out peoples. And so the first response is like, oh man. But the angel said to him, he's gripped with fear, the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. What a relief and speaks specifically to his own prayer. And we don't know how long he's been praying. We don't know how long he's been praying and his wife has been praying. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you are to call him John. It's a directive. This will happen. And you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you. I want to tell you just real quick the names that we've seen so far already. Zechariah means Yahweh has remembered. There's 400 years of silence. And then God comes to this priest that is before him. And his name is Yahweh has remembered. Elizabeth, most often that name is for my God is an oath. As this angel is coming and giving this, this like swearing this oath to them. And that John comes from the, the, the Hebrew, I'm sure I'm going to mess up, Johanan, which is God is gracious. When we see the grace of God show up on the scene, the, the, the people, many and most, have turned from him. In fact, even those that were religious did so out of, out of religious duty and to show kind of like how much above they were of everyone with their, their religious doings. It wasn't because they loved God. Their hearts had turned from him, but they enjoyed the, the, the view from the people of them being holy in sight. They were hypocrites. <clears throat> What an awesome thing. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you were to call him John. He will be, listen to what he'll be, a joy and delight to you 
and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Just those couple of lines are very powerful. A joy and delight to you. It's enough already. You're going to have the son. You've been praying to have a child. Your wife is going to. You're going to name him this, and he's going to be a joy and a delight to you. You're going to find pleasure in him. You're going to enjoy your son. Others will rejoice because of his birth. And this is the greatest part, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Man, there's no other place that is more important to be seen as great than in the sight of the Lord. When we think about it for our children, think about that, hearing that from a messenger of God. Your child will be great in the sight of the Lord. Too often, parents, let's be real, we're more concerned than being great in the eyes of the world. I want them to be great in the eyes of those that are successful. I want them to be great in the eyes of, of, of those that are productive. I want them to be great in the eyes of, of, of the, 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 the people that like to watch sports or like to follow careers or that like to see how much money people have. I want them to be great in the sight of the world and what the world cares about. But this is a much higher calling. This is a much better prophecy to say he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Man, I hope that for my own kids. I don't care if the world ever thinks you're great, but if you're great in the sight of the Lord, that's what matters. And then he gives this command. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink, which looks like a Nazarite vow that people normally voluntarily took. But here the angel of the Lord says, no, he's just going to be separated and set apart in this way. And check this out. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. There is a unique call. This is a miraculous thing. It seems as though God plans to regenerate John the Baptist before he's even born to put his faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. That he would be filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb showing his personhood from the womb. His unique personhood. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will, be, he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. Remember the Malachi verse. To turn the hearts of the parents to their children. That's literally how Malachi ended. Malachi is the prophet Elijah will come. There will be a messenger that comes to prepare the way for the Lord. And here, this angel says he will come in the power and the spirit of Elijah, and he will turn the hearts of the parents of the children, the children of the parents. That's literally what Malachi said needed to happen. And so this, this prophetic word is, hey, God's been quiet for 400 years, but he's back on the scene. And he's about to do the work. It's happening now. This isn't just good news for Zechariah and Elizabeth. This is good news for everybody. God is coming to his people. He is sending the Redeemer and the Savior, and your son gets to prepare the way for who is to come. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit of the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I'm going to stop there for just a minute, and it's not going to be on the screen. But when it says, in the spirit and power of Elijah, in Malachi, it said, 
the prophet Elijah will come. In Matthew 11, again, it's not going to be on the screen, but you could look at it if you want it in your Bible, or at least write it down so you can look at it and make sure I'm just not making this up. Starting in verse 7, it says, As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Which is cool. Like right there, it's verifying. Like it wasn't that he was great in the eyes of man. You didn't go to say like, oh, he looks so great. You went to go see the man that clearly was great in the eyes of the Lord and the sight of God. Something different about him. He's unique in living out the, the, the calling, the clear calling that God had for him to prepare the way for the Savior, Jesus Christ. No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. That's referencing Malachi 3.1. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. That's a cool statement. Of those that are naturally born, there has never been anyone greater than John the Baptist. But he says, but those that, but those that are in the kingdom, he says that those that are reborn, those that are in the kingdom are even greater than any that are born just by a physical way. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. So Jesus said, this is the one. This is the one that's preparing the way because I am the Lord. And he had to come before me. And he came in the spirit and power of Elijah. And so we see this miraculous thing that, that, that this woman has been kept from being able to have children that they've been praying to have children. They're past the age of ha having children. We've seen miracles like this in Scripture already in the past of those that are past the, the age of bearing children. This miraculous thing happens. And he's being prophesied about that. No, she's going to be pregnant. His name is going to be John. He's going to do these amazing things. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. And we can see by the response of the angel in just a moment that this is not just an inquisitive um, correct heart kind of response. What he's saying is, how can I have a sign that this is going to be real? Like, don't you, I've been praying for this forever. So he's praying for it, but at the same time, he has some doubt that it actually can be happen. And so he says like, well, how can I be sure that what you're telling me is real? And I love the angel's response. You better like, sometimes just watch what you're asking for. Because he's saying like, what, what is the sign that I can know this is going to happen? The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Like literally he's saying, how can you be sure? After 400 years of silence, the angel, this messenger of the Lord, is standing near the incense that you were burning in bringing the prayer, and I'm telling you exactly what's happening from the mouth of God that I have brought to you. How can you be sure? And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Like, what? <laughs> Sometimes watch out what you ask for. 
Like what Zechariah asked for right here is show me a sign. And the angel is gracious in giving a sign, but it is the sign of rebuke that you should have just believed God's word. Hmm. So he's got to be quiet for nine months. And that word for mute there can also mean death. We're going to see later on in the story that it might be that both are going on, which is kind of crazy. That all of a sudden you see this amazing, miraculous thing and you can't even talk about it. And it's kind of a beautiful thing. That he goes, how do I know this is going to be true? Like his mouth is spewing doubt. And the angel's like, well, the best thing for you is going to be that if I just shut your mouth. Like you'll see that it's going to happen. Some of us could just learn from this. It would be a blessing for us to just... I'm going to trust you, God. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. Because he's supposed to go in and just do this and come out, but now he's, they're, they're curious, like, what's happened? When he came out, he could not speak to them. It's crazy, right? You just know regular Zechariah. The lot gets drawn to him. He gets to go in, and you're, like, talking to him before he walks in. Then he's in there too long, and he comes out like, When he came out, he could not speak to them. Then they realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. Think about this. You've been freaked out by this angel. You've been given this amazing prophetic word that not only blesses your family, but blesses Israel of the fact that your son is going to be the one that prepares the way for the redeemer of the world. What an amazing thing. And you would want to tell everybody the good news that has been given to you by this special messenger from the Lord himself. And you come out, and it's not like you know sign language, and they know sign language. You come out, you can't talk about the most amazing thing you've ever experienced to date. And you're going like. (laughs) Like, how do you do that? You're at a loss. And they're like, okay, something crazy happened. Like, clearly something happened. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. It doesn't say when during his week of service this happened. It could have been early in the week. We don't know. So that the rest of the time he's there unable to speak and explain what's been going on. Then he goes home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. We don't know why. She was in seclusion for five months. Might have been to, to really uh, make sure there was evidence that was clear of what God had done. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. What happens next in the story, I'm not going to get into too much today because Christmas Eve is coming. But the, oh, don't worry, I got enough for us. The birth of Jesus is foretold that Gabriel shows up to a virgin pledged to be married. There's the beauty of of that interaction. And that in part of Mary finding out that she will have this blessing of carrying the Savior of the world. She's also told that her relative Elizabeth is pregnant, six months pregnant, 
even though she's past the age of bearing children, as a confirmation. And then she goes to see Elizabeth to see that this is true and what's going on here. Check this out. I just wrote down, working from the womb. This is cool. Starting verse 39 of chapter one of Luke. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to the town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Hmm. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, a loud voice. She's just like yelling. (laughs) Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Some things I want to point out here, several things I want to point out here. The Bible said that the Holy Spirit would be on, that, that, that John would have the Holy Spirit even in the womb, and we see that that's happening. And we see that John is already doing his prophetic work of revealing the Savior, Jesus Christ, even from the womb. He's doing his work in the womb. That that Mary shows up pregnant and John in the womb is like, yes! Baby leapt, look at, with joy. We see feelings attributed to the unborn. We see personhood attributed to the unborn. This is one of the verses that is so clear and firm about the sanctity of life. That the unborn are indeed human and made in God's image. Hmm. And that killing them in the womb is murder. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is a child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? That's awesome, too. She says, there is a, a, a baby in the womb. He hasn't even been born yet, and that's my Lord. She uses the, the, the term for, for Lord, like Lord God, like the one that is superior and has authority over all. This is a grown woman, aged in years, miraculously pregnant. And she says, like, you came to me, and you are carrying my Lord. I'm so blessed. Why have I found this kind of favor? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. John the Baptist is already working. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. She says, you're blessed too, Mary, that you get to carry uh, Jesus and that the Messiah, the, the Savior of the world, and that you believed. Blessed are you that you believed in the word that God gave you and what God is fulfilling in you and for you. And then Mary goes on this uh, amazing song of praise. We're gonna move on to verse 57. And I wrote down, what did I call this? Speak up. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. They see, this is a miracle. You've been hoping for this, believing for this, and we see that it's come to fruition and we are excited with you. We rejoice with those who rejoice. 
On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. That's awesome. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. So these people are there to help with the process of circumcision. The father, Zechariah, is not able to speak. In fact, uh, we'll see in a moment, it almost appears as if he can't hear either. And he's there, and they say, like, well, let's name him after his dad. His dad can't talk for himself, so we just, as the group of people that are here, the relatives, the friends, we think, that makes sense. He's a good guy. Let's name him after him. And, And Elizabeth says, no, his name will be John. And they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. Like, that doesn't make sense to us. Why would you do that? Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked them for a writing tablet. Okay, a couple things we need to see here. They made signs to him, which makes it seem like he can't hear everything that's going on. Or why would they be trying to explain it to him in that way? He could have just heard and gone like, look, she's right. But instead, they think that maybe Elizabeth is going rogue and just naming the baby for herself. And so they're like, Zechariah, is this, really, is this really what you want to name? How's this? And so they give him a writing tablet. It's like an iPad or something. <laughs> no, in those days, it would have been like a piece of wood that has wax on it, this tablet that you could write on. To find out what he would like to name the child, he asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Now, one of the astonishments might be if they're trying to even explain that to him, and then his response isn't like, oh, let's talk about it. It's just, it's to the point. It's not I'm thinking. It's his name is. His name, I don't get to name him. He already has a name. (laughs) His name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened, and his tongue was set free, and he began to speak praising God. I love this. Elizabeth wasn't afraid of those around her to say, stop. So she spoke up and said, no, he's to be called John. And then we see that Zechariah, when he has the chance to finally speak, he speaks up. His speaking is unto the Lord. He's, okay, he can speak. My words that I now have, think about being silent for nine months. And then this miraculous thing has happened. You haven't got to praise God for the first thing nine months ago, not verbally. And that the first thing you would do, listen, when you open your mouth is praise the Lord. Where was I? All the neighbors were filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things, this miraculous preparation for the Savior and King. God is already starting to bring some attention to this, to show that he's up to something. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. They can see God is with this young baby, that God is doing something. This is miraculous. This is phenomenal. This is beyond just regular reasoning. But God has now shown up on the scene. And what an amazing thing. After 400 years of silence, of just going through the motions but not hearing from God, that now Jesus said, this is the prophet, all the Old Testament prophets all the way up to John until John, who is this last like Old Testament prophet. You find him in the New Testament, but he's this last Old Testament prophet. He's the last prophet that gets to point and go, he's coming. But he gets the beautiful duty of saying, that's him. 
That's the one. What an awesome job. What a high calling. What an amazing duty to be given to someone. And then we see this great song. And I just wrote the Redeemer and the Forerunner. Not really a song, it's this prophecy. That now that he can open his mouth, it says his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. Listen to this. This is Zechariah believing fully now. And the Holy Spirit is speaking through him and prophesying this word. The Lord, he's back on the scene. It's been silent for 400 years, but it's happening. It's go time. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation. That's the idea of the strength of an animal with the horn, the, the strength of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. So he's saying there is a king. My son is coming to, to speak of the one to come, but the king is coming. That, that, that John comes through this priestly line, but that Jesus would be the one that sits on the throne. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors ancestors, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days, that we would be redeemed. He knows that a lot of people have gone astray. They have rebelled. They have turned from God and that even those that are going through the motions, their hearts have, have gone far away, but that God is redeeming his people unto himself and that they would worship him without fear and they would worship him in holiness and in righteousness, that God would provide the holiness and righteousness through the Savior, Jesus Christ. You're not as excited as you should be. Then he speaks about his son and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Look at this. I'm telling you, what an awesome job. And for many of us, although we're not John the Baptist, we have a similar thing that we're supposed to go before others and let them know about the forgiveness of sins through our Savior who has been born. John points forward to Jesus. We point backward to the work that he has done and to the now of what he is up to and doing. You, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation that they would know how to be saved through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. There's, there's something else I need you to do. Like go home and read Malachi 4 because it speaks of the rising sun for the people. This righteousness pointing to Jesus. The rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. How awesome is that? That he says, listen, you have an amazing job. You are preparing the way for the most amazing thing to happen in the history of the world that God would come before his people taking on the, the flesh, that he would walk with them, be with them, 
and that eventually he would walk the righteous life. They have not lived. Die the death for their sin in their place. Raised to life, showing his power over death and sin. And we know they would ascend into heaven that now he sits on the throne. But the Zechariah would be filled with the Holy Spirit, prophetically speaking these things about John the Baptist, his amazing role in pointing to Jesus. That's all any of us are ever called to do, point to Jesus. We save nobody. John knew that clearly. He's greater. He was greater in his, his prophetic. He was great. His calling was amazing. And he knew, even through the amazing work he did, he's calling people to repentance. Many in Israel are turning and repenting of their sins, awaiting the, the Savior. He did an amazing work. And all of us have been called to just point people to Jesus. John says when they come to him and, and try to wonder, like, who are you? Are you the one to come? He, no. There's one after me who I don't even deserve to, like, tie his shoes. I baptize with water. He baptizes with fire. He is beyond me. He's the one that saves. I'm just playing my role, doing my job, walking out my purpose. But all of my purpose is only so that I could get your attention and point you to him. And that's our job, too, that it would be less of me and more of you, God. God, help me to point to you. And anytime it starts to be me in the way, help me get out of the way and point to you. I need the worship team to come up. To shine on those living in darkness. He says, there's a light coming and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. That God would reveal himself in Jesus Christ. This is an amazing, uh, amazing thing. I think it's awesome as we look to the, the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that we don't forget God's sovereign work in preparing the way. His powerful and amazing work in preparing the way by miraculously working through Zechariah and Elizabeth, filling John the Baptist with the Holy Spirit, even in the womb, that he would already start to do his prophetic job in confirming the Savior Jesus Christ and pointing people to the truth that is Jesus Christ. And lastly, we see in verse 80, you guys did a good job, dude. we've gone through like 60 verses. <laughs> Prepared before public. And the child grew, this is John the baptizer, and became strong in spirit. And he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. He's in the wilderness and he's growing and becoming strong in the spirit before he's showing himself to the world publicly. He is prepared to do the work that God has assigned him for. It's an interesting thing because... Um, we want everything right now. But we see all through scripture, and again here, that God's people regularly had this time of, of forming and shaping and preparing before they were in, in the public spotlight so that they could handle what came with, with representing God publicly. And I love that it says strong in spirit. Again, this is just a conviction in me as I see that, that he's born, he's a child, he's growing, he's becoming a man. And the responsibility as a parent to make sure that my child grows and is strong in spirit. 
So much of the emphasis of our day is to make our kids strong in so many ways. And we are called to prepare them and strengthen them to be sent out into the world, to be used by God to disciple them and get them ready. But how much time do we spend on the thing that's most important? That they're strong in the spirit. Not just strong in the flesh, strong in the mind, strong in the work, strong in their craft. Those are not bad things. They're just not the priority. God forbid that we prepare a bunch of our children to go into the world to succeed in the ways of the world, to be great in their eyes, to be strong in their eyes, but not to be great in the sight of God and be strong in the spirit, prepared to do what God has called them to do. Listen, John faced all kinds of persecution, eventually being beheaded for calling out sin. He's a great example to us. He's a great one to remember and see God's amazing plan and to be reminded God has a plan and a purpose for your life. You're not John the Baptist, but you are whoever you are, and God has prepared a great work for you in advance in Christ Jesus. And for you to walk that out, it's going to take you growing and being found strong in the spirit so that you can walk out all of the purposes that God has for you fully so that when the time comes of pushback and persecution, you stand firm. You don't waffle. You don't get swayed. You don't, you don't follow after fear, but you walk out in faith what you know to be true because you are strong in the place that matters. As God sovereignly works his plan out here, we, we see him work in our own lives. We see that he prepared a way for us to have Christ revealed to us and that we would be saved and that he is calling us to be used to prepare a way for others to receive Jesus Christ as Lord. So in this time, as we remember the perfect work of God in, in saving us through Jesus Christ and the miracle of our Savior being born, let us be a brave people, a courageous people, and that comes from not just white knuckling, not just flexing. It comes from being strong in the spirit. Let us be known as that. Us as a people that are Christians, us as the church, as the roots. Let us be great in the sight of God. side of man, not the side of other churches. Great in the sight of God. Let us be strong in our spirit, in the spirit, that we would be prepared, that we would be ready, because God is, God is moving. God is doing something here through us individually and, and through us as a church. And the only way we walk that out to its fullness is for us to be strong in him, to depend on him, to grow in him. Can you stand to your feet?